chances are you have stayed in an Airbnb. And if you're like me, you probably got curious about the business side of Airbnbs. What does it take to be profitable? Or is it doable enough or even worth considering? Maybe you just don't even know what to look at to even make that decision. Don't worry, we have got you as we're going to get into real numbers and advice with my go-to Airbnb expert, Whitney Hansen. She knows her stuff and you're going to absolutely love this conversation. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hemphill, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. This episode today can be as an insider guide to Airbnbs. That's going to give you clarity in how to estimate costs, rates, financing unique properties, and researching market demand before even started. Y quizás estás pensando, oh, Jen, no sabía que también te dedicabas al Airbnb. I didn't know you also weren't into Airbnbs. No, 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 no. I'm not the expert here. This is why I brought my go-to Airbnb expert and dear friend who's going to speak to you about this, Whitney Hansen. Let me tell you why I brought her on. Whitney Hansen is not just a financial coach. She's a speaker, host of the award-winning podcast, The Money Nerds, and she's been featured on major outlets like Forbes, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and more. And on top of that, she has a lot under her belt for such a young age. She's paid off $30,000 in 10 months. She bought a home by the age of 19. At that time, that's when she discovered her passion to help millennials. She also enjoys traveling, teaching personal finance, but testing side hustles. And in the past several years, she's really honed down on building one-of-a-kind Airbnbs. Whitney knows her stuff and she doesn't make decisions lightly. She does research. She really analyzes the money, the numbers. And so you are definitely in for a treat, especially if you're interested in Airbnbs. Let's get this conversation started and let's get to meeting Whitney. Whitney Hansen, you are back, my friend. It's been too long and I'm so thrilled to have you here. So welcome. I am so stoked to hang out with you, Jen. It's always a pleasure. It's good to see you. (laughs) Yes, it's been a while since we've seen each other, one. And you realize that the first conversation where I had you on this podcast Mm -hmm. was back, oh gosh, it was episode 17. We are in episode 300 and I don't know what. Yes, you were amongst the first 25 guests in this podcast. I'm honored. That is so cool. Isn't That's that crazy. crazy. You've been doing this a while. Yeah, we both have. We both Isn't have. wild? Yes. <laughs> it's so crazy. Today, we're going to talk about Airbnbs because, oh my gosh, like when I first met you, you had bought a house at an early age. You had gotten out of debt. You were teaching, you were a financial coach, teaching people about financial education and coaching them along the way. And now- it has evolved. Your what you're doing has evolved into not one unique Airbnb, but and I added more vowels and Airbnb, uh, but <laughs> two of them. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. But we have to know what is this obsession you shared with us? What is this obsession with true crime? Honestly, I would say 
I love podcasting in general, but sometimes they get a little bit burned out of self-help. Mm-hmm. So surely true crime is very healthy for you, right? Of course. But it's something that I spend a lot of time on the road and I started listening to just podcasts. And I found that the types of podcasts that kept me engaged and awake tend to be true crime. And so I just, I'm obsessed with it. It has like really, in another life, I think I would have a true crime podcast. Not right now, but I think it'd be so fun. You don't want to add to the things? Yeah, why not? Let's just throw <laughs> You're on not doing enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Underachieving over here. Uh, yes. <laughs> Brittany, come on now. <laughs> so, sometimes it feels that way, though. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my. I'm just in awe with everything you do. Oh, now, I, it. We, I mentioned a little earlier that you were with us back in episode 17. You know, that was the year 2015. No, that is so crazy. <laughs> The year 2000. It was like so long ago. Yes. Yes. We were, we were, we're still young. We were babies. Yeah. I just say we still are. <laughs> Have you caught up with me yet though? Age-wise? Closer? I, yeah. No, no. We're, well, I can't catch up with you because you're just, you're always like five years behind, you know? Oh, you're funny. <laughs> now, back then you shared with us two lessons that you learned from your upbringing and how and also seeing your parents not manage your money well and so i'm gonna play a clip from that episode and i want to know after listening to that if you could take a moment and think has does if i were to ask you about the biggest influence would would that still be true has something changed or if you just want want to add on to those lessons so you ready let's see if we can make tech work The first thing that taught me was that I would never be stuck in a situation because of money. Like I would never have that type of life because of something that's totally in my control. And then it really taught me the true difference between a want and a need, which turned out to be very valuable throughout my life. Mm -hmm. So that's where it really all started. And from there, I just learned from a very early age that I had to figure this money stuff out on my own. So that was 2015, Whitney. What does, <laughs> what does 2023 Whitney's have to say? Are those lessons still true? Are there some added lessons that maybe you did take away from that experience? Talk to us. Yeah. Well, I feel like 2015 Whitney was way more articulate. I'm listening. I'm like, dang, what happened to me? I've regressed. <laughs> no. I think those lessons are still very true for me. I would say the only addition that I have since learned from them is that opportunity is everywhere. And that is something that I had to kind of learn and I think I needed to mature and grow with. But that's a new addition that I I really believe in. And you're making it happen happen because we're gonna talk about the opportunities. (laughs) Speaking of opportunity (laughs) is everywhere, you are living proof of it. And that's that's the reason why I wanted to bring you on. Speaking of opportunity is that, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, I have seen you evolve, grow, and you have so much knowledge about, not just about finances and personal finance education, but the Airbnb market. You have built not just one, but finishing building two properties at the moment of this recording. Uh, So talk to us a little bit about the two Airbnbs that you have. How did you even decide to dive into this market? And what have been the highs and lows of this journey? I know a lot of questions in one, because that's how I do it. I'm with you. (laughs) Me me too, actually. (laughs) I'm in good company. I would say the, the draw to Airbnbs is 
sort of combining a couple of my passions. I love money. I love investing. I love DIY and like getting my hands dirty. I think all of that stuff combined is really fun. And so for a while I was testing this and experimenting in the form of furniture flipping. So it was a way for me to still work on some projects, but make a little cash and then teach my listeners and my Instagram peeps how much money you could actually make. And so that was kind of where it was. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do more real estate investing. But the idea of just having a long-term rental, it never really was exciting to me. It sounded fun and I've done long-term rentals before, but I wanted something that kind of really spoke to my soul in the sense of like, takes a lot of creativity, takes a lot of energy, yes, a lot of money, but it was still something that I could make a good return on. And so that's where I really came across Airbnbs and specifically the unique Airbnbs. So our first property was a glamping dome, which is a glorified tent, if I'm being honest. It's, it's like a big tent. And that was our first property in the mountains of Idaho. And that one kind of came to because we didn't have enough money to build a full-on cabin there, which was our initial thought. It was just too expensive. The lot was really not conducive for that type of, of structure, but it was conducive for something kind of off the grid and glamping style. So that was our first property was the Geodome. And then now the property that we are right in the middle of like truly in the midst of this is a giant flower pot on a farm in Idaho. So those are the two different properties. Now with that, so you, you told us about how you've decided and I know it hasn't been easy because when you say you do have the creative skills, you like DIYing, you've done like with the glamping one, right? With the dome, yeah. you all did that pretty much yourself. Yeah. Every step of it. The only thing we didn't do was the dome itself comes in a kit that you have to kind of assemble. But other than that, all of the foundation, the deck work, all of the stairs, we built a sauna, all kinds of stuff. Like that was something that partially we wanted to do and just see how the process was. And part of it was necessity. We couldn't really afford to hire a bunch of people. So we had to figure it out, roll up your sleeves and watch a lot of YouTube videos and make it work. <laughs> <laughs> and then with the um, flower part, it has, it has been different. So it has been some of so your different. DIY. You're still getting that. But tell us why this one is a little bit different. So this one is a little bit different because it was tied to a global competition, a global fund that Airbnb put together. So it's called the OMG Fund. And essentially what the intention behind the fund was, was to help give a little bit of cash to DIYers, architects, designers, builders, you name it, people that just have really crazy ideas and want to see them come to fruition. And so we applied for the competition, kind of ton in cheek, not really thinking we would actually win or go very far and kept progressing into further levels. But the idea that we had pitched was a giant flower pot surrounded by a flower farm in Idaho. And so that was kind of a weird situation to get to that point because that one the timeline was very strict. So they wanted it ideally turnkey August 1st. Here we are. We had to ask for an extension. I think almost everybody that won has had to ask for an extension. And so that one, because it was so tied to a very tight deadline, we had to hire people. So I got to put on kind of a general contracting hat and learn that side of projects too. So you've had these two really different experiences, one with the dome and one with the flower pot. And with the dome, it was 
basically DIY, as you mentioned. And the flower pot, you've had a tight deadline, you've had to really outsource this. Can you tell us a little bit about when you think about those two, granted the flower pot, still not finished. When you think about those two experiences, what have been, if you compare the highs and lows, because I'm sure you've had them. <laughs> I've seen you in the snow <laughs> doing <laughs> stuff for the dome. So talk, talk to us a little bit about those highs and lows. I would say, I can't say for certain of how I'm going to feel at the end of the flower pot. They're both very rewarding. I would say the dome has been kind of a different level of rewarding though. When you can step back and look at everything that we've done, we're like, man, we actually did that. Like physically we did that. And so that's really cool. I will say the the pro of the dome or doing something yourself is you can extend the deadline. So if you need to you know, push it out a little bit, save up some additional cash, you can do that. And so that part is really nice if you are not on a tight deadline. The lows of the dome was when we initially were going through this project, we did try to hire somebody to help us build the, the deck that the dome sits on and we got ripped off really bad. And so that was part of the necessity of like having to buckle up and doing extra work. But what that lesson taught me is with the flower pot, we had to hire a lot of contractors and it taught me what to look for. And I mean, I wouldn't say I'm perfect at this at all, but it has made me better at hiring people. Mm. And so I would say that was a good lesson that I didn't expect to carry forward, but it definitely did. So I'd say that's the carryover. They're just such different projects. I think I like, I think I like rolling up my sleeves a little bit more though. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, can see that. In hindsight, during it sucks. It's never fun, but in hindsight, I think it's a lot more rewarding. You didn't like climbing in the probably hip or <laughs> high <laughs> no. snow, trying to. I don't no. know if it was measuring or I'm not yeah. sure what you were doing because it was yeah, covered I, up I don't with know snow. Either, no. I just remember, like, oh my gosh, she's out there yeah. in the cold doing. Doing this thing is, is just incredible. Now, yes. for those uh, that, because those that are listening to this are definitely interested in Airbnbs. They may be interested yeah. in Airbnb something they already have. They may be interested in sure. just starting from scratch like you are or doing something different like you have done. If you can break down for us how, do, because you've, it's an investment, right? So how Absolutely. do you make money with an Airbnb? What do we really, you know, maybe people, cause mm. I have an idea, right? But because I'm not in it, there might be some things that we may be missing or, or maybe not considering. Yeah. I would say the way that you make money is a, it's a pretty simple process. The, the most simplex way of doing it is just renting your place out on a nightly rate. And then of course you add a cleaning fee on there. You have all of that kind of stuff attached. So that goes into your overall revenue, but that's the simple way of how you make money with this. And the amount of money kind of depends on your property. I have seen some people make, you know, a million of dollars a year on their property, like a very unique, really expensive nightly rate kind of place that that is possible. I've seen people make, you know, five, $10,000 a year. So I think it kind of just depends more on your location, how you market your property and what type of property you have. But for us, I can speak for the dome. We almost have a year of data. So in December, it'll be a solid one year that we've been renting. My initial projection for revenue, I thought if we hit $30,000, dollars in revenue. I'd be pretty stoked about that. I think we'll probably hit closer to 36,000 this year. That's awesome. And so it's great, but I will say that's your revenue, right? So right. a lot of people hear that and they're like, 
oh, cool, I can do this. That's like half my salary. That's not necessarily the case. You have to back out all of your expenses. And because we DIY, we are a little bit luckier in the sense where the profit is higher, but I could see people going out and mortgaging cabins and stuff and getting themselves into a little bit of trouble because that expense, that mortgage is, is so expensive. So you do have to be kind of careful there too. But for us, that's kind of how much we make with the flower pot. I think we'll probably rent it at 200 to 250 a night. And then the cleaning fee will be attached to that too. So that's kind of what we're thinking there. Now, is it, you've put a ton of work and I know I've said that. Is it easy as it? people make it sound because in a granite yours is a little different you have created you have built with your own bare hands uh, especially mm -hmm. in the dome and and you do a lot uh with a flower pot so and some people think oh an airbnb just easy money is it easy as some people may think yeah. it is i don't think so i think it can be i suppose if you buy a condo and you hire a property management company and you're trying to be as hands-off as possible you will not make as much money because property management companies are 20 to 25 percent of your revenue and so it's going to be a little bit more costly but the things that i think people think are going to happen more frequently don't like they're thinking you're going to have a lot more maintenance because you have way more people in there i've actually found it's kind of the opposite we have a cleaner that's going in pretty much, you know, at least three, four times a week. And she's constantly letting us know like, hey, this is, you know, this, we need to replace this. So I feel like because of that, we have more eyes on the property that the maintenance portion is actually a lot less than I thought it would have been. So that was one thing that I thought was interesting, but it's certainly not easy. It's really tough because you are in the hospitality business when it comes to Airbnbs. You're not necessarily in the long-term rental business where you can be a little bit more hands-off. You have to be very involved in the hospitality and that guest experience. So that's something that you are constantly thinking about. You're constantly trying to figure out how to communicate better and more effectively with guests so that expectations are correct before they check in. It's not hard, but it is not easy either. I think that's such a great key distinction between it's a hospitality business versus yes. a long-term rental business. Now, what other things you mentioned, because you mentioned revenue, you also, and you mentioned that not all of that, that's not just what you take home because of maintenance and other things that you may have to pay. What other are some other things that people that you and your experience have seen people not consider or not be aware of when they're mm -hmm. starting out their Airbnb or looking to start out their Airbnb that you really want them to, hey, don't ignore this. <laughs> yes. The biggest one that comes to mind with unique Airbnbs specifically. So unique ones tend to be tiny houses. They tend to be less than 500 square feet, not always, but typically, and they tend to be very unique by nature. So if you're going that route, anything unique is going to be really hard to finance. So getting a bank to give you a loan for a flower pot shaped house is going to be next to impossible. Getting a loan for a tent, also really difficult. And so that's one thing that I don't think people understand. They see like a dome model or a tiny house and they're like, cool, I can do that for $25,000. And then you get into what does it take to make it a legal structure so you can legally rent that. And that's the part that I think really stumps a lot of people is 
it's very expensive because you have to fund all of that usually in cash or alternative financing. And so I don't think people quite understand quite how expensive it is, but I would say for very unique properties, you definitely need deep pockets. You, you really do. It's very expensive. And I think if you don't have a good financial foundation, I could see this legitimately bankrupting people if they're not careful. So it's really, really costly. Especially now that you're seeing so many more unique properties yeah. out there. I'm wondering, now it gets me thinking, how are people funding uh, those projects, right? Uh, yeah. Very, very interesting. So when you think about, I guess let's, I guess let's just focus on unique properties um, because that's mm -hmm. what you're doing. What that's what you do. What are uh, you've spoken in general a little bit about this, but in terms of normal startup costs, what do these look like? I mean, what you mentioned mm -hmm. it can vary. You mentioned about loans being possibly getting hard uh, to get. Talk to us a little bit about that. And in your case, with the two that you have, have there been you know any surprises? And I think you've touch that upon that a little bit. Yeah, I would say the the biggest surprises that we've came across is how difficult it can be to get somebody a contractor if you're hiring somebody to do the work for you to do the contracting work. So with the flower pot, we've got walls that it's a round structure and it tapers out. And so having somebody that can think that way and can agree to building something that that style, it's really hard because most people are so used to just four square walls. And so that puts a different layer of complexity. Anytime you add a layer of complexity or like, oh, that's a cool feature, that cool feature is going to equate to more money. And so what I have found is I don't know for all unique properties, but tiny houses specifically, I would say when you're looking at your budget and you're trying to figure out how much is it going to cost to build, it's going to range quite a bit, but I have found I would plan for probably about $300 per square foot. And I think that's actually a little bit more accurate versus a traditional home. You're probably sitting at, I don't know, maybe 200 per square foot. So it can still be very pricey, but that's the, the biggest surprise. I think when you see a house and you're like, how is this 400 square foot flower pot costing over a hundred thousand dollars? That tends to be how it's just really costly. I can imagine. So this episode has really been about your experience with Airbnbs, what you've learned, the challenges, all of that. And to some, it may be attractive. To some listening, they may have some reservations because they're like, oh, Whitney really educated us. I didn't know this or that. Or they may wonder, are Airbnbs profitable? Of course, there's a lot of them online, right? You can choose from so many, but do you feel like there, there's a good portion that are profitable or like, what are, you know? I think it depends on the property, but I'm going to give you some very practical tips that you can start to practice to see if a property might be profitable in your area. So what I would start with is I would do a quick scan just through Airbnb. You could also look at VRBO. I like Airbnb. I think it, it tends to be more of the unique homes than Verbo from what I'm seeing. So I would start there and I would go through Airbnb and just do a quick scan of what are the different types of properties in your area. Now you can look for properties without actually putting in specific dates. And that's what I recommend. So I would do flexible dates and just see what comes up. Usually it's an algorithm. So it's going to be filtered based off of what's popular or what's new. And so you'll get to scroll through and see what are the top performing properties in your area. Once you have an idea of the, the lay of the land, so to speak, then I would go over to a website that's called airdna.co. 
Now, AirDNA.co is kind of an aggregator of data, and this will aggregate data from Airbnb and Verbo. And so what you can do is you can look through and it will give you really good data to give you a better idea of how booked are places in your area. So you can look and see what's the average occupancy rate for a specific property. You can look and see how much money do they roughly make on average. Now, keep in mind when you look at the revenue amount, that's going to include the cleaning fees. So you want to make sure that you understand that because that's not profitable. That goes to your, your cleaners. And so you kind of want to back that out. But once you have a good idea, you can see maybe an occupancy rate is 64% in your area. What that means is over the course of one year, you're going to be rented 64% of the time. Do note that doesn't mean it's going to be 64% every single month on average. It, it, it's the overall average. And so when you see that amount, you can take those, those dollar amounts and you can plug it into a spreadsheet or just like a quick calculator to get a better idea of what's the best case, the mid case, and the worst case scenario. So I'll give you an example of this. When we were looking at the flower pot to see if it was going to be profitable, I plugged in 30% occupancy rate. And that's my worst case scenario, which means every single weekend the flower pot would be booked and a couple days throughout the week, throughout the year. So not very much. And when I ran that and I plugged in the loan repayment, the utility costs, the consumables, paying for shampoo, conditioner, coffee, Lord knows we all need a lot of coffee. So all of the coffee costs, right? You and I especially. <laughs> I, I had to include that. So once you plug in all of those those amounts, you can start to see, okay, what's my true profit? I would also back out taxes at that point too. And if you can make money, when it's the worst case scenario, I'm very risk averse. I say, okay, that makes me feel okay. If I know I make money, if it's only rented on weekends and the occasional weekday, I'm great. Then you look at your mid case scenario. That's probably going to be more realistic. And that number I pull from AirDNA. So I'll look at that and say it's 64%. I'll plug that into my spreadsheet and that gives me a better idea. Best case scenario is usually about 80%, 70 to 80%. And that's like your aspirations. That's what to work towards to, to give yourself maybe a couple years to get to that point. So once you have all of those numbers, you can make a more informed decision on if that specific property is going to be profitable for you. So that's kind of how I run through the, the math there. I love it. Professor Whitney in the house. <laughs> Spoken like a, a, a good professor, by the way, for those of you listening. <laughs> she has been, is it an adjunct? I don't know what the technical Yeah, yeah. Term. Adjunct, adjunct professor. Adjunct like professor. Six years now. <laughs> Crazy. You've done, done so much. Now to wrap this up, Whitney, is there anything that you want to leave us with for the person that's looking into having, a, you know, really running out an Airbnb or building, creating an Airbnb like you have? Anything that maybe I didn't ask you that I, you wished I have? You're just like Jen. Why didn't you ask me about this? Uh, <laughs> that you really want us to just to leave us with? Yeah, I think if you're you're drawn to this area and you're not quite sure if you want to build something yet. Maybe I scared you away with the finances. I hope I did a little bit because it really is very serious. But if you are drawn to Airbnb and you're like, wow, this seems kind of fun. I like the idea of like communicating with guests and hospitality. One thing you might consider is going into local Facebook groups. So we have one in Idaho that's it's like Airbnb hosts of Idaho or something like that. Every state has their own. So I would join a couple of those groups and I would start to ask if somebody needs a co-host, which is essentially you're helping them. You're kind of functioning like a property manager. And so you're getting the taste test of that to see 
do you actually like running an Airbnb business? If you hate it and you still want to be involved in Airbnbs, you can still do unique builds and try to get a little bit of a revenue stream and then sell off that business. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, but I think that's a good way to see, will you actually like operating that style of business? I really like that. So trying it out by being, see if you can become a co-host or building one to sell it off. Is that what you mentioned? Yeah, okay. that's a strategy I will probably try over the next five years. I, I think it oh my goodness. seems kind of fun. She's got a third one in the works, y'all. You <laughs> heard it here. <laughs> I, I for you listening, you don't know how many different. I Each time I see a different unique property, I was like, Whitney, here you go. I know I love <laughs> I it. I send you. Here so you go. Many of those. Yes, <laughs> I love it though. I think people are so dang creative and I hope that people do build something unique and, and try it out. It's a really, really fun business. I mean, I just want cool places to stay selfishly. So I, I hope people do build some cool ones and send them all my way. I'll go stay at all of them. <laughs> Or you'll create them because I'll be saying, Wendy, can you build this one? If I had enough time. (laughs) I know, right? Oh my goodness, Wendy. This has been been such a blast as always. I learned so much. I always learned so much from you. And now I feel like I'm educated in the Airbnb space. Not enough to build one or rent one. Not at this time, maybe in the future. Who knows if I'll I will gain an interest. But thank you so much. This has been, as usual, such a blast. Of course, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to hear back in 2015 too. That's crazy. I appreciate it. Today, our guest and my dear friend, Whitney Hansen, really broke down Airbnbs and broke down what you need to consider, what numbers, and really what you need to research. Everything that you under the sun that you need to know to make a decision whether you want to open up an Airbnb, build a unique Airbnb property like she has done. This is the second time she's doing that. So I hope you take this as a guide because she really break down everything that you needed in this podcast. Of course, I encourage you to do research, connect with Whitney. Uh, She's got a fabulous podcast called the Money Nerds Podcast. And at one part in the conversation, she talked about the numbers. She does have a spreadsheet uh, and I'm going to link it up in the show notes that you can grab. That's going to help you tally up those numbers, the the good, you know, the, what does she call it? The good uh, scenario, uh, maybe a bad scenario. She called it by different names, but <laughs> I'm just going by memory. So definitely check that out. That is linked up in the show notes. On another note, for those of you that attended our kickoff for Financially Strong Latina, thank you so much for showing up and being with us and being a part of this. Now, remember this event, Financially Strong Latina, goes all through the month of November. It's not too late to register if you wanna get in on the different content, that learn from different experts and really just make sure that you finish this year off strong. You can just check that out at financiallystronglatina.com. You can register and get instant access to the initial kickoff, uh, which is a fabulous conversation. As for next week, it's just going to be you and me with a solo episode where we're going to explore and dive deep into financial self-care, which I think is a perfect time because of the holidays coming up. 
Bueno, pues that is everything. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 373. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash 373. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao. 